Thanks for being here. Saturday morning, it always freaks me out that people actually come on a Saturday morning. Especially when they know we're coming at 2 and at 7. You just think people would say, you know, hey, I'll catch 7 o'clock. I got a lot of things to catch up on and do. But it just, it blesses me. I come in here and I saw you folks and I could hear the buzz in the room and I'm like, wow, you guys came 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. That, that's impressive to me. There's, sometimes it's the only day you have to catch up on personal things or to do whatever and here you are. So, man, God, have your way. Amen. Amen. Man, I'm excited. Listen, that tragedy thing. Can I just talk plain about a couple things here? I so appreciate your heart. I don't really know you, but I'm getting to quick. And that was powerful. And the, the thoughtfulness. And I tracked with your prayer. And I thought, man, the, the grace on your heart, Pastor, it blessed me. Because he's, he's a pastor. Did you hear the prayer? He's thinking about the ramifications and the things and the challenges. And just covering that in prayer. That's exciting. That's like God's love. Listen. It's so important to understand the gospel and why the gospel, why God sent his son. If not, a tragedy like that wrecks people sometime for the rest of their life. The loss, the emotion behind the loss, because the loss is real. Come on, we're not hypo-spiritual in this. Physical loss is real. If you lose a child, you lose a spouse, you lose somebody that you care for, it's real. They're not here. You're not hugging them today. There's real emotions behind that. There's real feelings. There's, there's, there's a thought behind that. So we're not soft-pedaling that. We're not saying, hey, you need to get over and be more spiritual. No, it's real. But there's a truth about why we're here, a greater truth that takes you above now so you can keep living toward that day. Or we're just all bound by our circumstances. And we're all only going to do as good as it's going and I'll stand before him someday. That can't be the gospel. You know what would be amazing? To run this race so well, worthy of a prize in the face of it all, that you stand before him someday and you haven't slowed down, even though you cried in the time of loss, and even though you went to bed without a spouse, or even though your child wasn't there. Is it okay if I talk plain? Tragedies are real, man. It just happened. It's fresh. This, we all just spring off of it and learn from it, and and not just go, oh man, what a shame. Because wonder if that was somebody you were married to on that boat. Wonder if that was your daddy. It's stuff somebody has to face today. And if you ever have to face something like that, you want to be prepared with a truth that's bigger than now. But doesn't ignore the now. But is bigger than now. Are you with me? Because if, if you get the idea, I'm going to say this thing strong and straight. I mean, Brother Chin, he's got my back. He's telling you to open your heart and really listen. So I'm going for it, man. Because you guys already met him. You guys loved him. He had to be, I could tell, he had to be fun. Yeah. He just seemed fun. And he did his little shirt thing. And then he had, hat, had his hat up the whole time. And he says, uh, that was just too good. <laughs> Yeah, whoa. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that's amazing. Would you stand up? Stand up. 
Lift your voice and pray what's in your heart, please. Spirit of God's in you, honey. You got compassion in you. It doesn't. Just begin to pray. Believe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, let life come. Let life come. Intervene, great hand of God, come. In Jesus' name. Come on, Lord. Come, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Yeah. We believe you, Father. Thank you. Father, we just, we just stamp that with we believe you're good. And we believe you're doing something amazing. And we just thank you for the preservation and restoration of life as our sisters crying out. We agree as the body of Christ that your hand is presently moving right now upon people in this situation to bring life. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Okay, good. Thank you. Now that's real. This is real. This is family gathering. It's not a service. This church is good. That's good. You should be able to do that. I think that's amazing. It makes it full of heart. This is real. We're not, I'm not here to preach doctrine to you. I'm not here to preach a sermon. I'm, re, I'm being real. I'm, I want to be relatable. I've lived my life a certain way for 23 years. I've never asked to travel. People invite me. It's amazing. I've never asked to do this. <laughs> never thought of doing this. It was never on my mind. And it's all I do. And, and I'm loving it. It's fun. And that's real. And thank you. And Look, we're all going to live today and no matter what comes or goes, time's clicking. Right? And tomorrow, probably many of us are going to wake up and have another day. We've got to redeem the times. The days are evil. We want to account for this window we have called life. It's a gift. It's a wisp and a vapor. It's here today going on. I'm 56. I don't even know what that means. Like, I can't even relate to 56. When I was 15, 56 sounded like ancient of days, and I couldn't even imagine being on the earth 56 years. Now I'm 56, and I don't even know where time went, and I still feel young. You following me? But it, it, was, it was yesterday I was 20. It was yesterday I was married. And didn't have children. And now I'm 56. And my children. One of them has children. The other one soon have a lot. Amen. Prophesy. A lot of children. I've tried to get my first one to have more. <laughs> Said, so where's the kids? Like, it's supposed to be a fruitful vine. Sitting around the table with all your little olives. <laughs> That's what I told. We went out to eat. I, I, I said, I said, where's the kids? Dad, did you take us out to eat to try to talk us into having children? No, to command you to have children. <laughs> I, I'm your dad. You're, you're supposed to listen to me. Just once would be great on this one. Just once. Listen. On this one. 
She said, Dad, stop. I said, I'm not stopping. <laughs> Children. I got an amen out of my son-in-law. Son-in-law, this is something. He, I said, do you want children? He said, actually, I do want more children. They have one. She stopped with one. I said, you want more? He said, actually, I do. She said, Dad, he's elbowing in. I said, where's your wisdom, man? Where's your voice in this home? I said, <laughs> I, I said, how many children do you want? This is right in a restaurant. He said, actually, I'd love to have two more. I said, so tell her four and meet in the middle. <laughs> it's this simple. <laughs> Honey, I'd really love to have four children. Four? Well, look, I'll take two if it's. Like, where's his wisdom, right? I'm like, come on. <laughs> you see my hair color. So I, I said, so listen, man. I said, you've got to do this, and two more would be amazing. She's like, Dad, I'm done with this. I said, well, I'm not, and I don't see a better night than tonight <laughs> to get this thing rolling. And my son-in-law said, amen, brother. <laughs> She's elbowing him. That's enough, Dad. She's beat red. She's 30 years old, beat red. That's enough, Dad. <laughs> so I gave him permission <laughs> to go be with my daughter. <laughs> Make sure she's pregnant. So he amen me. I got an amen from my son-in-law. Yeah. So my son just got married in July. They are so in love that my wife doesn't believe they're going to have children. They're just so in love that she just thinks they're just going to hang out together for the rest of their lives. I said, no, when two people are intimate long enough, somebody's going to get pregnant. That's the whole point with you and him. Be with him. Please be with him. You be intimate long enough till who he is impregnates you. And everything that comes out of your life looks like his father. It's important. It's serious. See how quick we went serious? so important to be with him. Nothing's reproduced on the earth without intimacy, two coming together. How are you going to reproduce after your own kind? How's he going to multiply through our lives unless we be with him? It's not sexual. Get your mind off of sexual. It's spiritual, it's intimate, and it's powerful. Go be with him. Believe you can be with him because he paid the price, because his blood is speaking better things. No matter how much you failed. Yeah, but I failed. Stop. He already knew that when he came. Yeah. yeah, but I did wrong after knowing the truth. Yeah, he knew that too and he still came. Now, I'm not accommodating you to continue doing wrong. I'm saying stop thinking you're a wrongdoer and start pursuing him as a son. Because if you keep thinking you're a wrongdoer, you'll just keep doing wrong because that's what you believe you are. We think because we failed, we're failures. I think we're a little different now that he came. I don't think I woke up to fail today. I think I woke up to be his. And come hell or high water, come a tragedy or not, that truth will never change. When my wife's laying in a coma with severe brain damage, I can't become a product of that. I better have been with him and I better know something more than her status. And I better be more than a husband in trouble throwing out a prayer hoping something works. Is it all right if I get real? You sure? If I get straight? 
Most of the time we pray because we're driven by need. Most of the time we pray is because we're scared half to death. Rarely, I found, rarely do we pray because of the promise of life, because of purpose, because of destiny, because of Him. Usually we look in the direction of our children and see the signs of their life and we read into the signs and we have enough natural knowledge to read the symptoms. Oh no, they're in trouble, they're this or that. And we go to our bedroom and we cry and pray and become an overwhelmed parent with children that are slipping. Then your productivity gets wiped out with them. Because somehow we got the idea that he's sitting in the sky and he's supposed to look over our life and make sure they go well. That's why people get mad at God, because they have the wrong impression of God. It's, it's, I'm not being rude, I'm not being insensitive. It's the most ludicrous, deceived idea to even be think you can be mad at God. But boy, it's sure rational to folks when they're in pain. And when they got a list of trials and troubles. And all of a sudden you get tricked into the clay imposing on the potter. To actually think you found fault with him. And believe you're right. It's deception. Well, if God's good, why does he let these things happen? He put us on the earth and told us to steward the earth. He gave us the earth. You read your Bible. He gave the earth to the children of men. And he said he'll live in us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We live in faith. We fear not. And we live by the power of his name and the power of his blood. We're called to steward the earth. Not be afraid. But how many times do we pray because of fear? How many times do we pray because of despair? Some of us, the only messages we've ever heard are messages that cater to our well-being instead of teach us how to be soldiers. Sometimes the only messages we heard are beneficial. My breakthrough, my blessing. Instead of my transformation and my heart rock solid and I ain't moving because he ain't moving. And when my wife's laying there, I can't walk in there afraid. Do I love her? Are you kidding me? She's my wife. She's the mother of my children. The wife of my youth. Yes, I love her. But it's not an emotional, empathetic, sentimental love. It's not a Hollywood movie. It's not full of feelings and ooeys and ahs. She has value. She's the woman I've committed my life to, to give myself to, to help empower, to bring the best out in her. And she's laying there in big trouble. I can't see trouble. I have to see him. And deep in my heart, even though I'm not compromising, it's not plan B, I have to understand even if I lose her, truth does not change. Are you following me? The reason I'm here doesn't change through calamity. The reason he died on the cross doesn't change through loss. Oh, I can feel that one. I would just let that settle a little bit. No, I, it's okay if you struggle a little. You don't have to jump on everything I say, but I hope it challenges you strong. Because if what I'm saying isn't true, then we're only subject to our circumstances and we're only prone to be as good as it's going instead of as good as he is in us. And all of a sudden, we're ruled by life instead of the giver of it. And all of a sudden, life speaks louder than truth, but truth makes us free. No wonder we're not free. I'm not boasting in me. I'm boasting in the gospel. 
On the day my wife was in a coma with severe brain damage, I was pumping gas. You would have no idea she's in a coma. This is not the story of my day. I'm not broadcasting it. I'm not calling 100 people for prayer. That's a fear line when you do that. My Bible says one moves a mountain, just one in faith. There's, most of the time we turn prayer lines into fear lines. We use the networking system and get the whole earth praying, thinking the more the better. It's because we're running, scared. Most of the time. You say, what? I have what? Yeah. Am I going to live? Probably not. Ah! And then we become a dying person. And desperately cry out for prayer and reduce this book to principles we're quoting, hoping something works. Instead of an introduction into intimacy, communion, relationship, and unfailing love and everlasting life. Listen, let's just settle this church. If you're a Christian, you are never going to die. No, listen. Death is not the issue. Life's the issue, and it's here. That's why we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We're not being so spiritual that we're saying you never feel lost. But you never feel lost to the degree that you lose purpose. Are we okay? Come on, this is, this is, this is, put the soldier in us. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Anyone enlisted in the army of God, these are scriptures in Timothy. Anyone enlisted in the army of God, right? No longer entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him. Paul said, everywhere I go, chains and prisons are waiting me there. Holy Spirit's telling me these things. But none of these things move me. You know what we would say if we had that impression? Chains and prisons are Well, brother, let's just hold off and use wisdom. That's what we'd say. And he'd say, I'm going. My life's not my own. It ain't about death. It's about life. You're looking at a man that'll never die. And I'm already dead to me. I'm going. You read scripture, it's what scripture talks about all the way through. And somehow we got tricked into this beneficial Christianity that blesses me and makes my day work better and gets me to make it till the end. The gospel is not a survival kit. It's the answer of a brand new, transformed, new perspective-driven life. Come on, you said I can talk plain. You want to run that video again, Brother Chin? <laughs> just play it and I'll jump back up and we'll just keep rolling. No. We okay? We don't need to play it again? Look, I'm not making light of loss. I'm not, are you kidding me? That's silly. I'm saying there has to be a scriptural gospel way to handle tragedy and not lose paid for purpose and running well to the end. I've watched people lose a loved one, a significant person in their life, and the quandary behind it, and the questions towards God, and the emotions that ravage, shipwreck their life, and years go by, and they're existing with the unanswered pain of them. Is it okay if I talk plain? I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor. I'm in the front line. I'm in this thing. I've sat with people. They've cried their hearts out. We've gotten to the bottom of things. I've, I've been a pastor. 
shipwrecked for years, just existing. Going to church, staying in ministry, but non-productive, no zeal in their heart, no life coming out of them, no light really shining. Just quandary living from that day. And now we're five years down the road and it's still speaking because of unanswered dilemma, quandary. Here's what I want to ask you. Do I even have to have the answers to all those questions? Do I have to have the main answer, why I'm here and why I woke up today? Because that answer will help me get through the dilemma. I don't have to have the answer to every question because I already have a major answer. I know why I'm alive. And I'm alive to shine and manifest His image from hell or high water. I remember being in my home group. I was nine months saved. I know you didn't come for this this morning, but it's what's burning in my heart right now, and I can't help it. It'll be beneficial if we just stay on board. You'll get something out of this. I remember being in my home group, and I'm on my knees because the home is full. You've got to understand, I'm only saved for like a year or something, and a little over a year at this point. I don't remember chronologically, but it wasn't two years. <clears throat> I know because I wasn't pastoring yet. I stopped the home group when I started pastoring, and I was pastoring after two years. So it was somewhere in a nine-month-to-a-year period and I was in my home group, and the home was so full. People were packing in my house. They were up the stairs. They were in the other room. We had people sitting everywhere. And I had to get on my knees and preach because there was nowhere to fit. Like, we had people stuck. And, and on my knees, and I know you can't picture me this passionate, but I was passionate. <laughs> and, and I was preaching, and I looked over at my wife because I was getting a revelation of why he came. And that... That, that what it meant to love not my own life unto death. It doesn't mean I don't care about my family. It doesn't mean I'm not praying for protection. But what it means is that I'm learning what it means to love less who I love, to love less those people than why I'm here. Or the situation in their lives will dictate why I'm here. And I'll make major mistakes and mishandle things all the time. And if there is unexpected loss, I won't recover. I'll exist at best. Be honest with me. I'm on my knees because the Bible says that Satan accuses the brethren day and night before their God. Day and night. Accusations against your life. Well, they're not for real. They don't really love you. They're not surrendered. They're only in it for what you can do for them. They just want the blessing. They just want provision. Remember Job? Job, upright, just man. Are you kidding me, God? This is Satan quipping back to God. Are you kidding me? An upright man, different than all men? He's just like any other man. He's only this way because you blessed him. You hedged him in. Lord, you made him fat in the land. He's got the blessing of the Lord on his life. No wonder he's the way he is. You take away the blessing, you'll see. He's like every other man. That's the devil. He's sure he has you figured out. And most of the time, unfortunately, he's right. He said, you take away this blessing. You take all this stuff. Now, see, God doesn't do that. He said, all that he has is in your hands. We call that permission. Come on, he's under, he's not, he's not in a new covenant through the blood. He doesn't have the promises through the blood. 
Man's under the law of sin. Man is under the law of reaping and sowing, and he's under sin and many of the afflictions of the righteous. And sometimes things come in your life just because you're on a fallen earth. Yeah? Sometimes people just treat you wrong because they're in trouble and messed up and not thinking right. It has nothing to do with the orchestration of God. Somehow we get this strange idea that everything is happening is coming from the administration desk of the Lord. Please get that out of your hearts and your heads. It's not true. It's not scriptural. My people are destroyed for the... So get to knowledge and stop destruction. Power of death and life is in the... Well, let's start speaking life. Men are reaping what they're... Let's change our seed. It just fascinates me how somebody will live in fear, they'll live in frustration, they won't feed on the Word. I'm not putting people down. I'm just talking a scenario here. I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not being mean. I'm not being judgmental. Just hear me out. Don't judge my heart until you hear me out. They're not not taking heed. They're not making full use of their time. They're not studying to show themselves approved. They're not seeking the Lord. Tragedy comes and we say, why did God let that happen? I'm confounded by that. To me, it's a sign of the fall of man. It's self-centered mindsets. It's blindness. It's just accusation. It's actually the nature of the enemy, the accuser. So every time you accuse God in your mind, you're functioning in a realm you're not created for. God said to love him like he loves us in the New Testament. Jesus tells us to love God like he loves us. It's the word agape. He's saying you believe the best about him when it doesn't look best. Like, God loves you unconditionally. On your darkest day, he said you have a higher destiny, a greater purpose, and you can do better when I'm in you. I love you. Come out from the darkness into the light. Come out of the world and into me. That's the unconditional agape love of God. He's saying, hey, would you see me the way I see you? And you know what we do? Accuse him when tragedy hits. I don't know why God allowed. I don't know why God let. I don't know why God. And we always make it somehow in our statement, his responsibility and his doing. And we're supposed to just understand because somehow he's good. And we miss the whole point in our spiritual scenarios and analogies. Are you guys okay? Man. I don't know that any of us in this room grew up in a family that was just completely surrendered. That was walking in authority, that was praying and covering and believing. And and yet here we sit by the mercy of God. Man, don't misunderstand how good he is. Some of you have done things you shouldn't even maybe be sitting here. Some of you should be marked in ways. Some of you should have more trouble than you have. That's the sovereignty of God. Every drunk driver should just die, probably if there's no sovereignty on the earth. Every man's sins should just fall over dead, huh? 
Hello? Yes, God is sovereign, but we interpret sovereign as in total control that he's calling all the shots. He's not calling the shots when men are reaping what they sowed. Men are calling the shots. He's not calling the shots when people are being destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The lack of of knowledge is calling the shots. Are you guys, yeah? Come on, this stuff, this is one of the biggest dangerous statements. Satan quips back to God and labels Job as a man because Satan's been messing with man from the beginning. He knew Adam and he messed him up. He knew Eve, he deceived her. He followed Eve instead of God. Satan says, all men are the same. Every man is born into Adam and for generations the same old tricks have worked on every man. He's not creative. He just plays the track record. And his arrogance comes out with God and he's sure he has us all figured out. He said, you touch what's his and he'll curse you to your face like any other man. You know what he's saying? He's saying you're that way too. That you're only in this for yourself, for your gain, for your blessing, for your protection, for your provision. You don't have a covenant with God. He's your genie in a bottle and he makes life work for you, you hope. But if it don't work that way, you're discouraged, you might not even go to church and you just have an attitude and issues. That's not covenant. That's misunderstanding and deception. Is it okay if I talk that plain? I guess it's too late to ask, I already did. I'm sorry, I'm not here to hurt you. I don't want good people to be deceived with wrong thinking. So at a risk, I'll talk this way that you might get offended at me. That's the risk I'll take. That you might get judgmental and presumptuous and read into what I'm saying instead of hear what I'm saying. Or that in your ruffled feathers, you might misread what I'm saying. Just remember, Jesus said, be careful how you hear. If you hear through hurt and pain, you're hearing skewed. If you hear through humility and teachability, it's not too hard to hear. If you're trying to defend an emotion that's not producing life, of course that's trouble. If you're listening to defend a position you've been camping in for the last three or four years, but that position's not producing life, you probably should let it go. Forfeit it. You need no justification to be less than who he is in you. Like, you don't need to justify not being okay. <laughs> you got to look for a higher answer and come out from the alibi. I was in my home group. I pointed to my wife. It freaked my home group out. They were like, they were freaked out. But I was never so serious in my life. I was crawling on my knees. I pointed to my wife. I said, you see her? That's my precious wife. I began to weep. I said, I love her with all my heart. And she's looking like, whoa, that's passionate. She said, <laughs> you know, send me back the emoji with the eyes. <laughs> I love you too. I said, I love her with all my heart. But I said, you take her from me. You take her from me. I pointed to my children. I'm not prophesying doom and tragedy, guys. I'm making a point that he's teaching me how to love less so I can live for the highest cause. In that place, We are amazingly protected. Because there's no fear in that place. 
And this is what I learned. You have no authority over what you feel. You have, you have doctrinal phrases you quote, but you have no authority over what you feel. None. If you fear it, you have no authority over it. So think about death for a second. Death tends to be the worst nightmare even in the church when death is crushed through his resurrection. There is no death. It proves that we're living our Christianity for now instead of then. We're not living for that day. We're living for this day. And we're making this day matter more than that day. Don't you get tricked. I said, you take her from me. I pointed, my children were sitting right in the home group. I said, you take my kids from me. You burned down this house. And I had my shirt. I was so passionate. I know you can't picture me this passionate. But I was passionate. And my buttons, I remember them flying. I had a, a polo shirt. And I was pulling my shirt. I said, you take this shirt off my back. And my buttons flew and hit the floor. And my shirt went. And I look. And I'm crying. And I said, but you can't touch me, man. You can't touch me now because I know why I'm here. I'm not here to be a husband first. I'm not here to be a daddy second. I'm here to be a man of God. And only in that place will I ever be a husband and a daddy. I'm not here so nothing bad ever happens to our family. I'm here so he's manifested in the midst of everything. <laughs> and I blew the buttons off my shirt. <laughs> Christian Hawk. <laughs> Hope you got that on film. I never said that before. That, that's original. <laughs> the Christian Hawkster. <laughs> and my, my home group guys were like, I don't think that's why we came to your home group, buddy, to... I don't think this is the message we came for. It's amazing how uncomfortable it made everybody. Because it exposed that most of us were Christians hoping for a better day. We had our faith plastered all over our refrigerators and we were quoting all our scripture that blessed our day. Made people treat us right. Made the green lights turn when we pulled up. And then at the end of the day, you assess if any of that happened. And if it didn't, what's wrong with my prayer life? Why isn't my faith working? Your faith isn't here for those kind of things. Your faith is here to destroy the works of the devil and continue living in a perspective that he paid for in the face of opposition. Your faith is a perspective, not a tool in your belt. You live by faith. Continue in the faith. Established in the faith. Contending for the faith. He puts the word the in front of faith over and over to teach us it's not a tool in your belt to get a prayer answered. It can be. That's a component of faith. But the major use of faith is a perspective that a Christian lives by now that he came. I'm going to live by faith. 
So you tell me this. How does purpose change? How does truth change when my wife's in a coma with brain cancer? How does my everyday being change and why I woke up and why he shed his blood on the cross? How does the call to shine and let my light so shine change? Does it say unless, of course, you're in a present calamity and your wife's, you have permission to turn off that light? No, that's when you shine. You're not just another person in trouble. You have a covenant. My, my, my friend, I was just down to my friend. He just called me yesterday, but I'm here and I don't keep my phone. It's away and I'm not crazy about having a phone. I'm really not. Just more people can reach me when I don't want to be reached because I'm doing things. I've got people, but, 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 but I love him. And I just went down to see them at their church. A week before I got there, his little girl's 15. She's, she's on her driver's thing, and she's getting her license. She's 16 this month. And I'm coming from Florida, and I'm going through the airport, and I'm going to his house to stay. They're friends of mine, and we're going to... We're going to preach for a couple days at his church and then him and I are going to break away and we're going to hunt turkeys. And I like that. I hope you don't mind that. They're good. <laughs> they're fun to hunt, good to eat. <laughs> and if they gobble my way, they're in trouble. <laughs> he told me to love you, not the turkey. <laughs> and I won't call you a turkey. <laughs> so we're going to... Preach the gospel and hunt turkeys. What a life. Oh, my goodness. I feel like heaven has already come. And I saw on my phone, I'm going to the airport, it's him. I thought, man, pastor. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Good to hear from you. I could hear he was serious. He was quiet. I could tell he had a background where he couldn't talk loud. I said, what's going on, man? You, you sound like you're in a, a setting where you can't talk loud and you, you sound serious. He says, get to it. Talk to me. He said, uh, let's pray for my little girl. I said, what's going on? First time, second time, second time. They had let her drive somewhere without them in the car. Just a real quick trip. And then the next morning, she's all excited. She wants to drive to church. So she drove to church by herself. Big deal. She's 15, drive the car. She has her own little car. Woo-hoo. Mom doesn't feel good, doesn't like the idea. Dad, you know, a little overprotective. Come on, we got to cut her loose. She's going to be driving. Let's just let her drive. So after church, she, says, she goes into church. I made it, Mom. Look, I'm here. She's like, praise the Lord. So after church, she said, Mom, can I take so-and-so home? And then we were going to stop here and grab lunch and take them home, and then I'll be right home. She said, okay. She's still nervous. She's mom. It's her little girl. They get a phone call. She went around a corner. It was drizzling. She said, you know, have you even driven in the rain? She said, Mom, we've driven in the rain. I've been driving with you for the last year on my permit. What do you? She said, well, just be careful. She went around the corner a little fast, didn't gauge her speed, and she slid out of her lane, went right in front of an F-350. So I rode up over her car, tore the whole front of her car off, and the powertrain of the truck landed on the front of her head. Completely crushed her skull. Completely. It's my pastor buddy who understands the gospel as much as anyone I know in my life. That's his little girl. If you'd know their relationship, it's probably one of the closest I've ever seen and one of the sweetest. And that's his baby. But he's been with Jesus 
so much in the light that I'm preaching that you can't prepare for something like this. You can't apply Scripture when you get the phone call. You better have become something by being with Him when that day comes. Or you're trying to build a house in a storm and you can't even hold a tool in the wind. Are you hearing me? That's what means redeem the time. Days are evil. You don't know this thing's coming. It's not they didn't open a door. It's just life. It's just tragedy. It's just that ship. It's, it's that thing. It's just stuff. Some of it's intentional. Some of it's demonic. And some of it's just stuff. I don't think we have to diagnose it. I think we just need to respond in truth no matter what. So I talked to him and he said, we just got to the hospital. We haven't seen her yet. They said her whole skull is crushed. They, don't, they haven't expected her to live. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the doctor's a Christian and he said, pray for me. I'm going in to do what I can and we're going to believe God. And it was amazing. And they all prayed and, and the doctor gave them some good, positive input and what impresses me is when I'm talking to him, it doesn't sound like a daddy whose girl has a crushed skull, but he's not trying to be spiritual. And he loves his little girl more than anybody I know. A week goes by, I go there. She's in a coma the whole time. Total coma. They got her knocked out. It's called a paralytic coma. You can't even tell it's her. When I went in to see her, you couldn't even tell it was her. Her head was... Black and blue and twice the size of a human head. And you couldn't really in the beginning tell that she was a girl. That's how bad the accident was. Her whole skull was crushed. They had a piece of it in the freezer. They opened it up because of the swelling. Her numbers went sky high the first night. They said for 72 to 90 some hours, the swelling could continue in this level of magnitude of a, a bruise. So the first 24 hours, they were freaked out because her numbers were getting towards the danger zone of brain pressure. And she's got 48 to 60-some hours yet to swell. And they just get to praying. Watch her numbers come the whole way down. There's Joe. He's ministering to parents. He's in an ICU unit. He's in a pediatric ICU unit. Families are coming in crying, losing children. There's critical stuff all around him. He's just milling around. His daughter's laying there with a crushed skull and a coma. He's just milling around. Hey, what's going on? Can we pray? Listen, we're, they pray for this little boy who has tumor stuff and he's going in the morning for an operation because it's infected and it's festering and it's going to septic his body, whatever. They take him into the, 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 the prep room and all the growth material is gone. Praying for her boy, the mama's boy, his daughter is in a paralytic coma. It's so integral. In a couple days, the nurses, everybody's attracted to him. He's not trying this. He's not ministering. He's just a Christian. He's not ministering. He's not trying to evangelize. He's just him because of his relationship. And it doesn't deny that his little girl's in a coma. He loves everybody in the room. The nurses are attracted to him. They start whispering and talking. What is it about this man? How can he be so at peace when his little girl is in such a... He just sat by her side, 
he just sat by her side. Day in and day out, he slept on a little cot. He'd stand with her through the night and talk to her and rub her little face and pray. He just stood by his little girl. He'd get out in the hall and he'd pray. He had so many things. Ministered to a guy whose little baby was dying and the boy just sobbed and bawled and he held him and talked to him. It was just phenomenal. The day before I left, two days before I left, she started to stir. The day I left, she was sitting up eating pudding and drinking. And the doctors were absolutely freaked out. She's still recovering. She's home. She's recovering. But I watched a family walk through something and appear to be unfazed. And we're almost afraid to talk about it and preach because we feel judged if we've been through that and fell apart. I'm not saying it to judge you. I'm saying it's possible if we get the right perspective. If we're kneeling in our home group and say, you take her from me. I'm not prophesying them away. I'm not proclaiming doom. I'm not opening a door for the devil to steal my family. I'm making a statement that I'm learning to love less. Unless you love less, your mother, father, spouse, children, houses, lands, yes, your own life, you'll by no means be my disciple. Oh, you can go to church. You can see your need for a Savior. You can get your sins forgiven. You probably have your name written in the book of life. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point is go make disciples, disciplined learners, and wholehearted followers who love not their own life unto death because they love Him more. He didn't say go make confessing Christians. He didn't say fill church seats. This is, this is why I preach on becoming love so much. Because, look, you could fill every church seat in Canada and America tomorrow. Every church seat that there is in the house in both countries tomorrow, and it won't change the world. But if all those people become love, and all those people take on an attitude and perspective through communion and prayer and faith that I just conveyed, if all those people become love and refuse to be offended and keep laying down their life, even when people are wrong, they treat them to bring out the right and what's best, and they don't let men and where men are decide where they are because Jesus settled it. You become love and you get this perspective, that will change the earth. It's not getting people to pray a prayer on a street corner. It's living a life that's dead to yourself and alive unto him that looks different in the moment than what anybody's been seeing. He said, when they, when they, Father, become one like we're one, then the world will know that you sent your son. And we're trying to get everybody to repeat a prayer. He told us to get born again, didn't he? What have we made born again? A prayer that takes me to heaven. That's our born again, a prayer that takes me to heaven. That is not born again. Born again is putting off the old man and his deeds and putting on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. Colossians 3.10. That's born again. Born again is new life 
through Jesus Christ. Old things pass away, all things new. That's born again. We've turned born again into a prayer that takes me to heaven instead of heaven coming back into me. And I'm sorry that we as leaders have preached so many messages that serve us instead of change us. We promise so many things. Blessings and provision and, and give and it'll be given unto you. And now the only reason people give is to get back. And all of a sudden the component of love is lost in our need for more. And all of a sudden we gave and didn't get back and now we have questions and we don't want to give anymore because it ain't working. And we don't even realize that our hearts are tainted and our motives aren't even pure, but the pure in heart see God. This isn't too harsh, is it? Come on, that's the last thing on my heart. I just don't want you hearing me wrong and getting hurt by this stuff. I want you empowered. I just watched my friend. He just called me. He said, hey, sorry, I've been, it's been hard to get back to you. I, man, I appreciate your text. And I know my wife, your wife has been passing back information a little. But, man, I'd love if you call me when you get a chance. I'd love to bring you up to speed. It's really, really awesome things, Dan. Really awesome things. But that doesn't denounce the fact that he had to sleep by a bed of a daughter in a coma for weeks and, and live every day looking at that but not seeing that. The scar across her young little forehead that is just unbelievable. The one that's the whole way up here around her hairline to open up and get the pressure out. It's all real. We're not denying it. You've got to walk through it and not lose the sight of everyday purpose and the number one reason we're here. That's the only thing that will empower you to walk through that because that's your little girl. And if you don't have that revelation, the sight of her crushes you. Be real. Just her laying on them tubes is more than you can handle. You just cry and cry and cry. You have to have a higher vision than right now and what she's going through. You have to see Jesus bigger and your life more. I'm going to get really, really real with you. Even if little Aaliyah slips away and doesn't make it through this in that moment, Roy probably still has to wake up in the morning and he's no less a man of God. And he has no less purpose than he had before. Does he have the physical reality of a daughter lost through an accident? Absolutely. We're not minimizing that. But does he have a higher call and a purpose to run the race till the end? That's more than integrity that will take you there. It's perspective. And they kind of go hand in hand. I'm not talking militant. I'm not just talking, oh, oh well, I lost my daughter. I still got to run the race, brother. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding the number one reason he's alive. Isn't to be a daddy. It's to be Christ-like. Are you with me? I'm sharing this from very, very much experience in my own personal life and as a pastor watching tons of very good people get hurt through these things and get deceived and get off track and some of them never get up and run. I'm a pastor. You know where I'm coming from. 
So I cried out from my heart, hoping that somebody hears. And if you get in a spot like that, there'll be something that's grown and developed in your life through a seed planet that takes you through the moment that all of us wish never was. But it's here, and I need a higher revelation than what I'm looking at. Yeah? Man, I didn't expect to go there. I don't have a plan. I'm sorry. That doesn't mean I'm unprepared. <laughs> I just want to help. I want to be relevant. I want to I talk to us because we're waking up and going to bed, waking up and going to bed. You guys have the heart to be here. Are you kidding me? I'm not talking to hypocrites. I'm talking to the people of God. Like, I have an amazing audience in front of me. This is a great opportunity. You're here at 10 o'clock on Saturday. Some of you might have got drugged by a loved one. Some of you might be, yeah, I guess I'll go. You kind of got me roped in. But that's probably, that's probably more the, the rare case. Most of you are here because you wanted to be here at some level for some reason. And I would think it's sincere, and I would think it's hunger. Maybe you thought Brother Chin was coming. I don't know. <laughs> I like that guy, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, I could tell. It's so humbling how YouTube has such an effect, how people are grabbing this message. Do you know I don't own a computer? I have no computer. I've never owned a computer in my life. I don't even know how to use a computer. Like, I have no desire for a computer. I don't even know what I'd do with it. Like, I'm just not geared for a computer. Like, it doesn't even slightly intrigue me. You know how people play games on their phone? I would last 20 seconds and wonder what I'm doing. Like, I'm zero gamer on a phone, but I won't judge somebody gaming on a phone. It's just not me. The only reason I have a phone is because I travel every weekend and you can't find a payphone anymore. I'm 56. I've had a cell phone for two years. I was 54 when I got my first cell phone. I was still using payphones and traveling every weekend 45 weekends a year for almost 10 years and didn't have a cell phone. And people were like, how did you live? <laughs> I was like, dum, 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 dum. I think everything's working. <laughs> I had a pastor get mad at me one time. We were having breakfast. You don't have a computer or a cell phone. That is just silly. What are you trying to prove? What kind of statement are you trying to make? That's how he perceived it. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, dude, can we just pray free? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a computer to this day, but apparently I'm on the computer. <laughs> right? This lady was sitting beside me on an airplane. I didn't tell her anything other than my name was Dan. And she found out that I was traveling to preach and stuff because she asked why I was traveling. When I told her, she shut down. When I told her I was traveling to preach, she realized I was a Christian and she shut down. Well, that's like, what? And I tapped her and I said, honey, what are you doing? Like, why did you shut down? And she said, oh, it's not good or bad. Don't read into it. I said, honey, it's not good. <laughs> so we had a good time. We chatted and talked. And you know the Lord is so good. Even though she shut down, his mercy, his goodness is amazing. He gave me words about her physical conditions. The only two conditions she was fighting in her body, I knew both of them and prayed over. She was freaked out. <laughs> she was standing in the jetway waiting for me because she was so overwhelmed after we prayed. The Lord came on her. She didn't know what to do. She was just. And I thought, now is not the time to talk. And I had to go back and get my bag 
because there was no room, I had to backtrack, and you can't, the, the, the flood is coming this way, the current is coming this way, and the plane is emptying, and you have to wait, so I worked my way back, and she took off, when I came out, she's standing in the jetway from the, up at the top, she said, I don't mean to be stalking you, <laughs> I said, you're not stalking me, honey, she said, how did you know to pray for those two things, I said, because Jesus showed me and told me, oh! I think it's funny. She went home. I'm not a computer guy, right? So I don't understand. I'm learning more. So now I have a phone. You know, see, Googles. Like webpage. I used to hear the word webpage. I thought somebody found a spider hiding in an old book. And it was a webpage. I didn't know what a webpage was. I'm just very naive. I'm a little more known now. But she Googles. She doesn't know what to Google, but she says, there was something about that man. Jesus was in him, and that was an encounter with God. I am healed. What happened to her, she went to get her bags off the luggage. I was going home. I went to another flight. She went to baggage claim. When she picked up her bag, she knew her body was different. And she knew she was changed. Well, that's proof in the pudding. That's her body. Like, she knows what it was like, and now she knows what it's like. And she's putting that together. And she's going, whoa. So guess what she Googles? It's hilarious. Do you know how we fight over healing in the church? Like, we, we bicker over healing. We get technical with phrases. We listen to words very critical. Be careful you don't have that spirit on you. Like, that's not a gift, right? <laughs> like, Jesus is total truth. He's speaking on the streets, and all they're doing is listening for what they don't agree with so they don't even hear what he's saying. So deceived that someone that was totally, completely right, they were sure he was wrong and worthy of death? That's extreme. Wow, sobering. Guess what she Googled? She knew I said my name was Dan. She remembered that, and she knew I traveled to preach, so she assumed I was a pastor. Guess what she Googled? Pastor Dan who heals. Google brought my face right up on the screen. I thought Google recognizes I'm a Christian and knows we're supposed to heal. Why are we fighting over it? Google, Google understands. We should probably get it. She takes it to Google. Pastor Dan who heals, my face comes right up. She says, that's the guy. I think that's hilarious. You know, the Bible says that you're to heal the sick. You're to heal the sick. And we, we get spiritual. So we, go, we can't heal anybody. And you can still go to the Word. He says, whatever city you're in, heal the sick there. He tells you to heal the sick there. He's, he's expecting that you understand that He's in you. And that when you lay your hands on the sick, He's touching them too. You don't heal anybody, but you carry him. You represent him. You're supposed to get that, not fight over the language. Well, brother, you're freaking me out now. You act, you're too proud. You're like, you're healing people. You don't heal anybody. I never thought I healed anyone. 
But he's in me. I believe he healed. I believe there was people healed here last night. Yeah? Miss Sarah, jump up here. No, you just came to mind. This is perfect. It's Sarah, right? I'm good. See, I pay attention. So Sarah came with a hard cast last night. Stress, stress fracture. Compression. Compression fracture. Painful, not cool. The other injuries were from 2005, because yeah. I remember, because you freaked right. me out. The ankle compression fracture was from November. I had it strapped on him, and I was supposed to go back in two to three weeks. My husband got in a serious accident, if I crashed it, and so I was like, well, I got to take care of my husband, got to take care of those other things. So I was like, Does that story sound familiar to the morning? <laughs> Does that story... <laughs> Guys, do you see how real this is? Not everybody has perfect circumstances. So this makes sense. Wow. And it was Wednesday I got the cast on, and I cut it off last night. <laughs> ah! Is Jesus good or what? <laughs> Thank you so much. So even in the midst of husband, this, that, real stuff, there's a place to maintain an attitude, press through, pay the price, lay down your life, and worship Jesus with your life. And then she stands up over here and receives prayer. Simple little, we did a little six-second thing, man. I stayed out of the way. I didn't call everybody up, heal, 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 and prophesy. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to empower you and say, listen, maybe we're complicating this thing. Maybe this thing is a little more simple than we've made it. Maybe we're trying to pray too hard because we're sincere. Maybe we ought to just believe. Thirteen years. She said, back trouble and sciatic pain. True? 13 years. And it all left. Six seconds of simplicity. Could have had a whole different attitude. Could have not even been here. Could have just been mad and frustrated and why is all hell breaking loose and where's God in our lives? Thought he loved us. Hello? I've never seen that take on it produce anything good in people. I've seen that take on it crush people quickly. Bless you. Thanks for coming up and <laughs> I was in a service and the lady had a thing up to her hip and we did the little six second thing and I looked over and She's taking the whole thing off. And I said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> not because not I was scared of her not being healed. I thought people were compelling her. Like, well, if you're in faith, you'll take that off. And I thought, oh, I better run over there and facilitate this. <laughs> I thought it was aggressive prayer warriors. And I ran over and I said to her, honey, what are you doing? Well, I'm taking it off. I said, okay. I said, do you, do you really want to? Did somebody ask you to? Or you just... She said, well, no, because I'm healed. 
I said, really? I said, what was wrong? She said, I had my leg broken 11 places. She said, I'm supposed to wear this for 12 weeks. I've had it on for one. I said, how do you know you're healed? She looked at me real sincere and got emotional and said, I felt him mending my bones. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what do you do with that, Mr. Pastor? Probably just believe what you've been preaching. I was just making sure she wasn't doing something presumptuous because she thought she had to do that to express faith. She took that thing off and got up and walked right across the floor. I had the privilege of eating lunch with her and the pastor the next day. She was his, or their pastor's assistant. And I met with the pastor and them, and, and she came along. She had little brown half-heel kind of loafer summer shoes on, like a half-heel type deal. And she's sitting there weeping and said, who would think I have a cast up to my hip, totally immobilizing my leg for the next 11, 12 weeks with 11 breaks, and today I'm wearing these shoes. And I said, it's Jesus. I hadn't seen her for years. I just ran into her at a meeting a little while back. And she came running up and said, hey. And I said, oh my goodness, it's you. <laughs> still happened. She still went through some time, challenges. Guys, none of that changes who he is. You read your Bible, it says the same that it said before the problem. So if the word hasn't changed, that's not us changed. Pain's not fun. I get it. I've been in some in my life. I've been through a few things. I watched my wife go through a real tough one. I watched my mother die of sickness. So don't tell me I don't understand. But I believe he's a healer. Amen. Yeah, right, Miss Sarah? I'm not letting my mother's situation decide my theology. Jesus' life already settled that. I'm not a Christian for my mom's well-being. I'm a Christian for his image. Or I'm just a hurting preacher's son, son that preaches, I mean, whose mom died and now my theology's all shook so I've just preached nice things. Yeah? So don't tell me I don't. See, when you look at me, you can't tell that my daddy never said I love you. You can't tell he was an alcoholic my whole life. You couldn't tell that he was bleeding out of his behind in an ICU and with cirrhosis of the liver when I was in my teens. You can't tell that I was touched wrong at about age four. You can't tell that my mother died of sickness and was sick 40 years of my life and I changed her diapers and carried her to bed. You can't tell that my wife was in an identity crisis with brain damage in a coma and that my child got into drugs and ran away. You can't tell any of that when you see me. Why? Because you're not supposed to. Because Christianity is no smell of smoke. Nebuchadnezzar's fire is raging all around you. But he's Lord and you bow to nothing. And you don't lose your identity through trials. You found your identity through him. And King Jesus himself comes into the middle of Nebuchadnezzar's fire. And he takes off the bands and the bondages. And he doesn't even put out the fire. Why? Because it ain't about the fire. <laughs> it's about who he is. Right in the middle of it. <laughs> and when you come out of that fire, 
you got more passion than you ever had. What you say you believe, you really believe. And it's pretty hard to touch you now. Are you getting it? Because when you look at me, you can't see all that story. Because it ain't my story. He's become my story. I did not become a Christian for my day to go better. I became a Christian to be what he paid for and what he created me to be. That's why I'm a Christian. Watch this. I didn't even become a Christian to go to heaven. I didn't become a Christian so I don't go to hell. I became a Christian to be what he paid for me to be and what he purposed me to be from the beginning. To be right with him and to walk with him in the cool of the day and have fellowship with Father God. That's why I'm a Christian. Now, I don't know why you're a Christian, but I'd encourage you to jump on the ship because it rides the water well. <laughs> and if he says the boat get to the other side, you're getting there. And you don't see the storms and you ain't bailing water and crying out for your life. You're going to be sleeping in the storm with Jesus because you're going to the other side. It's just good, man. I hope you're okay. I feel almost done. It's early. Let me close with this. You get something out of all this? I'm not saying that to, for you to cheer and shout. I just sincerely. Just helping anybody? You see why the just live by faith? You've got to wrap your faith around these perspectives, these truths. Do you know what 2 Peter 1 says? 2 Peter 1 says that you have these exceedingly great and precious promises. That means more than enough grace in the promise, right? Exceedingly great and precious promises by which or through which you partake of His divine nature. The promises have nothing to do with full baskets of blessing. The promises have to do with everything He does to empower you to be more like Him. Watch. You have exceedingly great and precious promises by which you partake of His divine nature. That would be love. Having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. Nothing to do with sexuality. Self-centered, unsatisfiable desire. Lust. Not talking about porn, not talking about a hustler magazine. Talking about self-centered desire. The word lust there, selfish seeking. His divine nature has come into you through these promises. His grace sufficient to make you what he paid for, causing you to escape the corruption you were living in and bought through and trapped by. Into Adam, born again, out of darkness, into light. Not conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing. That means thinking like you've never thought before. Yay. So you don't bring Him into your life. He becomes new life. You don't pour new wine into an old wine skin. The skin is made new. Yeah? Man, that's just so good. I'm preaching good in your pulpit, man. I ought to, if you let me have it. You better preach good. If a man gives you his pulpit, don't take it lightly. He even gave me his mic. 
But I did say, don't bend it. <laughs> I do like you a lot. I do. Partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. If you love the world and the things in the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. That's Scripture. That's not harsh. That's the Scripture. If you love the world and the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And the things of the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He said, if you're functioning in those, it's because you haven't seen the love of God in a way that it's come into you. Which means knowing Him and relationship with Him and receiving His love is the automatic dismissal of those things that were grave deceptions in our life. So you're not trying to get free from them. You're seeing how He sees you and who He is towards you and it changes you. Knowing Him is the transformation of your life. Not knowing about Him. Knowing about Him could just convict you. Knowing Him transforms you. Watch what Jesus said. We say in the church eternal life is praying a prayer to go to heaven. Jesus said eternal life is knowing the Father. This is eternal life that you might not know about Him, know Him. I use this illustration a lot. What's your name? Jeff. Yeah, I just realized you have your tag there. So Jeff and I don't even know each other. I just ask his name. I read his tag. It's Jeff. He's not lying. It's Jeff. But I still don't know Jeff, but I met Jeff. But if we spend about five days together driving back and forth somewhere and hanging out and spending the day together at an average work day for the next five days, we'd probably talk in the car. Well, I know we would because I'm in the car. <laughs> I don't really know you, but you'd probably talk too, wouldn't he? A little bit? We'd talk. Would I drive with Jeff for 50 miles in the car today and not talk? Why do we do it with Jesus all the time? Not being mean, making a point. We actually play sermons about him and play songs singing about him and never even have a heart, a heart with him. And we think the things we do are Christian make us Christian. Like you can have a Christian ringtone, screensaver, bumper sticker, and t-shirt and not even know him. And let those things take the place of knowing him, but knowing him changes you. You can drive 50 miles in your car and just play your favorite worship CD and never actually have a heart-to-heart -heart exchange with the Father. And you can let your favorite CD take the place of knowing Him. So you play that song because it moves you. But when you're down and out, you turn it on because it connects you. Well, if you're going to go that far, you might as well connect. Let me give you an example. You're singing that song singing and you're just getting them little chilly things and you're like, <laughs> Father, it's amazing the way you love me. Now, if you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> Father, it's amazing the way you love me. I just appreciate Jesus, you shedding your blood and you sending the message of the value of my life and washing me clean forever. Thank you for making me clean. You know how awesome it would be for a Christian to start thanking God that they're clean? That sure beats waiting to feel clean. That sure beats feeling dirty. It sure beats waiting to change your actions. 
wonder if you start declaring you're clean and your life starts looking clean. wonder if you start receiving clean and clean becomes your resume. wonder if you actually give yourself to righteousness and its fruit starts producing in holiness without you biting your lip to be holy. wonder if that's how the gospel works. wonder if you're saved by grace through faith. So every time you release faith in the truth, grace comes to make that truth your reality without you biting your lip to change. So then we are what we are by the grace of God and he gets all the glory and there's no boasting. So there's no super Christian, just believers. Yay. And he gets all the glory. So there's no hotshot Christian. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, you know, Jim, that's weird I'm just going to be humbled and broken casting my crown that I could just be his and just trust that my life brought him honor and that I was a believer and if heaven marks me as a believer then everything's good <laughs> there's no super Christian there's going to be no capes with SC there's not going to be any Emmy awards got recovery center visions we got brother cow we got brother david we got all these recoveries all over the earth and the winner is number one recovery center (laughs) 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 it's not going to be like that that's going to be weird if it would be like that it's just going to be people that are humbled and honored to believe that's all we are as believers and I've had people say, man, your, your faith just seems amazing. You're just an awesome Christian. I'm a believer. Really. I think my life is normal to God. It's just not normal to what we were taught growing up. But I'm not in that world. I'm in His. My mind's been renewed and transformed. I'm not following men. I'm following Him. I'm not limiting what the Spirit of God can do through flesh. I want everything He paid for to be real in my life. And I don't want one drop of grace to miss my life if He paid for it. You with me? So maybe we have yet to see what that even looks like in a person. So let's keep growing up into Him in all things to the full measure of the stature of Christ. So this is my closing and... Last half hour final, no. (laughs) I'm trying to stop right now. Know that you have a right to him. You have access to him because of his blood. It's speaking better things. You're not judged and marked by where you've been and what you've done. You're judged and marked by what he's done. And if you feel like you haven't been able to qualify or you feel unworthy or you feel like you haven't been close to God or you feel like you can't get close to God, it's a flat-out, utter lie. It's you seeing yourself more than you're seeing what he's done. I know people that get alone with God and they lose every ability to 
concentrate and talk to him and they say something's blocking and they, what they do is they get self-conscious. They get, they, it's like their, their life comes in front of them and they get alone with God and they're intimate with God. They shut the door and it's just them and God and then their life comes in and they feel like they got to take about 20 minutes to get past themselves just to get to him. Like, I know I haven't been and I know, Lord, sometimes I... And the whole thing is like, and you say, well, isn't there a place for healthy repentance? Yeah, but let's stop crossing the line to where our identity is always trashed by our former life. At what point do you take off the veil? At what point do you look up and say, thanks for loving me? Thanks for caring when I didn't care. Thanks for knowing when I didn't know. Thanks for being when I wasn't. Man, thanks, you're so good. What would he do for a Christian if he just get alone in a room, nobody around, he just, we're just in a bedroom with the door closed. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for marking my life valuable and special through your blood. Jesus, you're amazing. Keep teaching me who you are. And in seeing who you are, I believe I'll find me clearer and find me more in you. But I want you to know I'm starting here and I'm encouraged and I believe I'm clean and holy and acceptable in your sight. Keep doing a work in me, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. It'll probably help out. It'll probably make you very Christ conscious. It'll probably get you off the flesh and into the things of God. Would you think? It's all in your perspective. The eye is the lamp of your body. The clearer you see, the clearer you'll be. Every one of you have access to him through the blood. Please be with him. Please. If there's one thing telling you that you can't be with him, it's a lie. He says, come to me. If you're laboring, if you're heavy laden, come unto me. I want to give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. Take of me, learn of me. Whew. Sounds like a pretty sweet invite to me. I think you're going to take him up on it. Yeah, you look that way. <laughs> you look like you've already been there. <laughs> Where have you been, sister? <laughs> you know what I did when I first got saved? Because it was a contact point of faith and it was childlike and it was powerful. I closed my bedroom door because then I'd have to open it to go back in with a reason. When I went back in, I'd go in just to spend time with Jesus, read my Bible, be alone, cry out my heart, read, pray. It was so cool. I'd never closed my bedroom door. But when I got saved, I started closing it because I knew I had to open it to go back in and I, I sprung off of that as a contact point of faith. So I would go up to my bedroom and I would look around, nobody's around. I would sneak in and shut the door and say, hey, it's me. Oh, so powerful. I'd be like, hey, it's me. I just came to be with you. Just thanks for loving me. And I'd close the door. Just several days into that, and I don't preach this much because people go after manifestations and feelings. No, it's truth. I'm going after truth. I'm going in that room, period. But after several days, the knowings of God and the evidence of his love and the bearing witness of him in my life was indescribable. Like, it's my problem to this day. Like, you say, calm down. You're wrong. Oh, you don't have to. Stop. You don't even know. You're speaking so out of turn. You're wrong. I'm sorry. It's not time to calm down. Never was. Never will be. (laughs) 
I go in that room and be with him. I just sit on the bed and begin to talk and cry and weep and believe the gospel. I'd hit my little CD on it. It was Jesus, friend forever. What a friend I found closer than a brother. Whew, that was just, ah. They were like, Jesus. I, went, ah. I didn't even know what was going on most of the time. I just, ah. But when I'd come out of the room, people saw me different. I carried myself different. I was four weeks saved going to the public pool, taking my kids because my wife was off and running at the time. She, we were done. We were done. And I didn't get saved for my marriage. I was rejoicing we were done before I got saved because I was like, yay, I'm going to move on. Adventure. I remember I looked in the mirror and said, Dan, you ain't the best looking cat on the planet, but somebody will need you. <laughs> I wasn't dumb. I wasn't dumb. I was a teenager. I, I would look for a girl that didn't have a dad. I wasn't dumb. That's sad. Ain't it? So when I was being divorced, I figured, hey, great. Make the most of it. Let's make this fun. I only go around once. And Jesus intervened, saved me in the midst of my delusion. 30 minutes into being saved, 30 minutes, all alone, just me and him, all alone, nobody talking to me, didn't even read my Bible, hadn't been to no conference, nobody laid hands on my forehead. I was just standing in an aisle at work all alone. 30 minutes after the encounter, I thought about my wife and saw her in a totally different light and realized how peacemaking she was, how extra mile she was, how cloak and tunic she was. I said, oh my goodness, this girl has been so good. And she was done being the excuse and the reason and the things that I said I didn't like about her and the hate I had for her. I said, it was gone. And for the first time in my life, I realized I valued somebody and could see them clear. And I actually realized that I loved her. Why? Because love came into me. I didn't pray a prayer to go to heaven. I prayed a prayer to be changed. And love came into me. And I looked through love's eyes and saw my wife for the first time the way she is. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I remember going to the swimming pool with my children. Can I just be real? The years before I would go to the swimming pool to look at everybody else's wives. I would hope they'd wear a certain suit and that one girl would walk around the pool every afternoon. She'd stroll and she knew it. And I would be like, making sure my wife, my wife knew what I was doing. She'd be like, <laughs> she would just take, unrobe her, she'd take her little thing off. And she had these little bright yellow, bright white, dark tan. She'd just start walking. I'd be like, oh my goodness. She'd come the whole way around that pool. Every guy's. It was sad. She's a hurting lady. She's drawing from it. Doesn't even feel good about herself. Now I'm saved. Last thing I need to do is look at her. I promise you, she's zero temptation to me. I dealt with all that stuff in Jesus, I promise you. Now I would hurt for her before I'd lust over her. And I'm at the pool and people are coming up. What's up with you? What's so different about you? Man, you've changed. And I'm like a pool cord doll when you say stuff like that. 
Within a week, not exaggeration, within a week, I'd come to the pool and set up our little camp and my kids would jump in the pool and for the first time they have a real daddy that's going to play with them and have fun and just be daddy and they just love it, right? And, and, and I'm throwing everybody else's kids around. I'm giving these dolphin rods to the rides to the whole everybody, man. And, 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 and then the parents are coming. I'd sit at my towel and I'd draw up and I'd sit down and they'd start coming. It, it was I was four weeks saved. Can we sit down? Can we talk? Can we ask questions? Do you mind if we join you? Sure. Within a week, every time I went to the pool, I'm surrounded by parents and people. And we're talking Jesus. I got my Bible open. I'm answering questions because they're looking at my life going, I know that man before. He is not the same man. And I kept telling him, I didn't pray for it. So guess who joined us one day? She comes by and she comes over. And she says, what are you all doing over here all the time? And they're like, wow, this guy, sit down. As soon as I start talking, she, she realizes what she's doing. Her motive's exposed to her own conscience and heart. She starts feeling, you could tell, like she wants covered. That girl cried and cried and cried as she heard me share my heart. And we all surrounded her and loved on her and prayed for her. I never one time again saw that girl stroll that pool. Not one time. Not one time. It's amazing. I was four weeks saved. <sighs> my wife fought me tooth and nail because she was hurt. She's a good Christian girl, but she didn't have the revelation we have. She fought me tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. The whole time I'm saved, she's mad because she prayed for me for 13 years to be saved. And when it was over, I got saved. That's insult time. <laughs> she goes into the bathroom one night. She's, I'm seven weeks in. I'm saved seven weeks. Uh, uh, right before that, the weekend before that, she left to go to her sister's out of town and she's supposed to be going like, it's a long time. She's going to be going for couple days so she left she's out of the house for six hours she's out of the house six hours later she sneaks in the back door to see what I'm doing checking up on me to see if I'm yelling at the kids or watching garbage on the TV laying there like a king yelling at them to shut up you ought to be glad I let you live here that was me People say, I can't even imagine you. I'm born again. That guy died. He didn't try to get better. He died. <laughs> My wife sneaks in the kitchen. The back door sneaks in. And I'm sitting. Guess what she catches me doing? I'm sitting in the living room with my kids Indian style with the book of Psalms open. Six hours after she left. Six hours. Teaching my children what it looks like to worship him. She peeks around the corner and I'm sitting there and look right up at her. I said, hey, did you forget something? I'm fine. I'm fine. 
One day I come out of prayer. I was praying and I come out of prayer and I opened the door and she's standing right there. My wife is so little and precious and quiet and timid. But man, that seven week period, there was a button. Somebody <laughs> I just stayed out of her way. I don't know where that button was, but man, I never saw my wife like that. I come out of the bedroom from praying. I opened the door and she's standing right there. Just like that. She was listening. And the more she heard me pray, the madder she got because she was hurt. Because for 13 years, I disregarded her. For 13 years, I was selfish. For 13 years, she prayed, got up, took the kids to church. And now she gives up and she's done with me. And she even said she was done with God. Why? Because he didn't answer my prayer. That's a dead giveaway. You never did have a covenant with him. You're just hoping he makes your life better. And it's so conditional what you have with him that if it don't work, we're done. That never was relationship. You know what she told me she did? The day we decided we were done, I threw it in her face, mocked her, and said terrible things to her. And she walked away and decided I'm not crying. And she, I don't know how people can do it. She hardened herself. She went in the bedroom. She said, I'm done with him. She told me she looked at the ceiling. Watch what she said. And I'm done with you. Analytical, watch. I prayed to you for 13 years. 13 years. And you've done nothing for that man. You have allowed me and these children to suffer through hell for 13 years. I've prayed and he's worse. I don't need you either. See, that is so rational to a hurt-filled, painful person. But it's not even close to truth. She's being deceived to turn from the only one that really loves her from the beginning. She walks off into darkness. She's got her life out in an arena she never thought she'd be because of pain. See? Everything I preach, I've walked through it, believe me. That's why I preach with a smile. Because I know what I'm talking about. I've been in it. And he's good. My wife takes off. I get saved. I'm a couple weeks into being saved. I'm getting visions of my wife and what she's doing and where she's at in detail. My wife. And I'm like, oh, Lord, she must be so hurt. God, that is so not her. Lord, I've hurt her so bad. Please have mercy on her. I'd be working, Lord. And I was just young. I didn't have a real heavy prayer language as far as verbiage. I would just feel heart. Would, and, and, and about four days into having these visions, the Lord said, hey, presence on me. Do you know why I'm showing you these things? I said, yes, so I can pray for her. He said, Dan, I'm showing you because I can. Did you get it? What he's saying is, I know you're only going to respond like me. So you're in. And that's where he taught me. If I become one with him, I'm in because he can tell himself anything. If I'd have responded as a man to those visions, he'd have never showed them. But because I responded like him, my prayers went straight into the bowls of incense. And God's grace began to pour on my life. Why? Because I wasn't a hurting, frustrated, betrayed husband. I'm a man of God. My wife owes me nothing. I owe her nothing but love. She was hurt. 
She was deceived. Help her, Jesus, rescue her. Her life's more than these decisions. And he kept giving me those visions. So now she comes and catches me praying with the kids and worshiping. She leaves for the weekend. A week later, she's in the bathroom doing her hair. She's going to go out somewhere. She's doing her hair in the bathroom, and I'm doing whatever I'm doing. I'm out in the yard. I was doing beans. I went out into the yard. I was doing beans in the garden. And we were trying, even before I got saved, we were trying to live in the same house. It was terrible. To redeem our little bit of finances so we weren't blown up when we got divorced. So we were just living in separate beds, sleeping in separate beds. We wouldn't talk. It was awful. But then I got saved. I still wouldn't talk because she'd have clawed my eyes out. And I didn't preach at her. Like when I came out of the and she was like this at the bedroom. You want to know what she said? This is not a total quote, but it's probably super close. You make me so sick. So mad at you. You live like the devil for 13 years and all of a sudden you're in there praying like some holy man of God. I don't think so. You know what I could have said and been right? Well, Kim, Kim, you know God changes people and, and people change and he affords that grace. And obviously I've done things to hurt your heart and make you angry and upset you, but you've turned from God and you haven't been seeking him. And if you'd seek him, you'd see that he's bringing change. And I could have said it and been right, but I'd have lost my vision. Yeah? So I didn't say anything. I just wept and walked away. Now she's in the bathroom. Guess who comes in the bathroom? Holy Spirit walks right in there. Like he owns the place. <laughs> you know why he walked in there? Because I'm not trying to do what he does. I'm just busy being a man of God. Loving my kids and being who I'm called to be. I'm not trying to change her. I'm not trying to talk her into another chance. I'm not telling her, please come back. Please, I've changed. I'll never do it again. I'm not insecure. I'm fulfilled. I want my marriage. I want to love her. I want to finally be a husband. But man, that or not, I'm fulfilled. I am ready to roll. You get it? She's in the bathroom. The Lord comes in there. She's like, oops. Because Six months before, she pumped her fist at him and said, I don't need you. But he didn't come hobbling in there, hurt and broken. He just strolled in like he owns the place and like he loves her. And he called her by name and she said it sounded audible, but she doesn't know. It's one of those experiences you have that you can't describe. But she heard him clear and he said, Kim, he called her name. Kim, why are you so angry with that man? Separated me from the anger with that man can't you see and she said when he said the word see it was like somebody tore something right off of her eyes she said it was so dramatic it was like <gasps> it was shocking it was like all the unforgiveness unresolve all the anger all the memories just <gasps> can't you see that's not even the man you're angry with he said in fact Kim that's not the man you married this is my favorite part of the testimony because God can't lie. Watch what he said to my wife. 
That's not even the man you married. I have made him a brand new man. So guess what I am? <laughs> brand new man. I don't even have to try to be. I just am. She crashes on the bathroom floor in a fetal position. She's crying out of control. Jesus is all over her. Scratching fleas. Whatever. She's just, ah! He hovers over and he says, Kim, he's making peace with her. He's so humble. It's true you prayed to me for 13 years for your husband. It's true. But Kim, you have to understand, never one time did you pray for him because you loved him. You only prayed because you were hurt by him. And you knew if I'd change him, it would make your day in life go better. Never one time did you pray because of mercy, because of compassion, and because you hurt for him. Kim, you were reduced to another hurting wife that prays. That's why he stayed the same, because I can't empower that. I will not change him under those conditions and teach you that that's the way, because it's not me. I love you. She was toast. I'm out doing beans. My wife won't talk to me, and when she does, it's not good. I'm doing beans, and I hear the door. Poof! I look, and it slams open, the garage door. And this little five-foot-two brown-eyed girl is running straight at me. And she's crying out of control. And I thought somebody died. I thought she got a phone call you, you never want to get. Because she's running dead at me and she's bawling. And I'm already emotional now because I love her, I want peace, and she's broken, and I don't know, and I want to hold her, but I don't know if I can. But she's running right at me. I didn't have to think about it. I hear her repetitively speaking as she's running, but I don't know what she's saying until she got closer. Guess what she was saying? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And now I am just... It was the ugliest movie scene you've ever seen. There was stuff coming out everywhere. It was bad. But it was real. It was God. Here's a girl that has so many rights. I've been so wrong. It would make a terrible, amazing talk show. People would be entertained by it and be our judges and there'd be victim villain. It would be... We had a terrible story and she was right and I was wrong most of the time and this poor girl and who... Uh, and now she's running to me saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you sorry about? I have never loved you. I have never been Jesus to you one day. I have needed you, used you, unappreciated you, misused you. What could you possibly be sorry for? That's going through my mind. And she's just crying, telling me she's sorry. It was freaking me out. But I had to stop her. I said, Kim, stop it. Why would you possibly be sorry? Are you kidding me? I've been wanting for so long now. And I'm just, why for so long to tell you how sorry I am? Never once did I love you. Never once did I treat you like Jesus would. Never once did I love you. She said, no, I'm sorry. I said, why would you be sorry? She said, because I have never loved you in prayer. That's what she said. Because I have never loved you in prayer. 
I just held her. I told her about the visions. She said, what? She said, how could you know? How could? I told her all about them. She said, oh my gosh. Well, this changes everything. I said, changes nothing. Welcome home. That was a hurting girl. I'm so glad you're here. I love you for the first time in my life. I tell you. She said, but you don't know. I said, well, there's nothing to talk about. Welcome. Welcome home. Yeah. Exactly how I feel. Welcome home. We just held her. I just held her. We just held her. Never talked about a thing. We don't need counsel. We need Jesus. We need love. We don't need resolve. We have it. She owes me nothing. I hurt her. She reacted in the hurt. Jesus came, saved the day. Woo! Yay! So is there a such thing to go live happily ever after? That's what I'm doing. It's not conditional. I'm going to live happily ever after. It's not a fairy tale. Even if she would get angry, I'm going to live happily ever after. My life is not conditional on people. You know what we believe in the church? The people closest to us can hurt us the most. It confounds me because they're the ones we say we love and love takes no account of the wrong done to it, so why are we so crushed? Wow. I think we're a little misinformed. I think we have more need than we understand love. Some of us need to be needed. That's worse yet. I need to be like him. That's healthy. So we're hugging, and she said, this changes everything. I said, changes nothing. I love you. Welcome home. We held and cried. And I said, can I renew my wedding vow to you? She said, huh? Because I didn't know this was even happening, so I'm a pretty spontaneous fellow. <laughs> I'm prepared. I've been with him. Me and Jeff been hanging out. Said, can I renew my wedding vow to you? She said, what? Oh, she said, you mean there's hope for this marriage? I said, are you kidding me? For the first time in my life, I can look you in the eyes and know that I know what I'm saying. I love you. Oh, so powerful. I'm holding her little shoulders, and this was my wedding vow to my wife. Psychology would hang you on a cross for this. But I think Jesus hung on a cross so I could be this. I looked her right in the eyes, and I said, you owe me nothing in this marriage but to receive the love of God for me. And as long as I draw breath on this earth, I'll serve you in his unfailing love. And she said, okay. <laughs> and, I just held her. and I didn't ask her for her vow and write it down to hold her to it. I just held her. And for the first time in my life, I knew I was free. Free from me and free to love. Two years later, I became a pastor. My wife slipped into identity crisis and believed the lies that I was telling my family to never believe. She started to believe in people only said hi to her because she was with me. She started to believe that people only acknowledged her and valued her because she was my husband and they loved me. She started to believe that she wasn't worth anything. She was just my wife and she only got attention because she was with me. You know how long that lasted? Eight years. It got so bad that she wouldn't even come to church. 
It got so bad that she wouldn't answer the phone. It got so bad that she wanted to die because she thought she was worthless. And I'm traveling the country and pastoring and preaching identity and my wife's believing lies. And I felt like I had no ability to minister to her because she'd look me in the eyes and say, well, you're supposed to tell me that. It doesn't mean it's true for me. She wasn't demon-possessed. She was believing a lie. You know what I'm thankful for? That in eight years, I wasn't a tired husband. Well, I'm carrying too much. Well, when's she going to get with it? Brother David, can you pray for me? Because if my wife doesn't change soon, I don't know how long I can put up with this. Maybe it's time for me to move on. I don't know. I just feel like I'm so unequally yoked. I grew leaps and bounds when she was in trouble because it gave me the great honor of loving her like he does. She doesn't owe me a thing. I don't wake up for her to love me. I wake up to be like him. <laughs> so for eight years, I wasn't a man with a problem. I was a man with the Spirit of God inside of me. And I recognized that my wife was in the biggest trouble of her life and needed Jesus more than I'd ever seen. And guess where he happens to live? Inside of me. So now's not the time to be a frustrated husband. Now's time to be like him. She kept saying she wanted to die, wanted to die, wanted to die. She went into this violent seizure. It lasted for one hour. It was demonic. It was trying to kill her. They gave her two shots to pull her out of it, and they couldn't. By the time they realized she was getting severe brain damage and all that, they just intubated her and put her in a little bit of a coma thing or something. They did an EEG and she had s severe brain damage because she was without oxygen for a long time. Took my 14-year-old boy in there, prayed about 20 seconds over her, popped her eyes open and smiled and said, Hey girl, your boys are here to see you. You've been napping too long. We come to get you up. This guy thinks I'm ironing a shirt for school tomorrow. You're getting up. <laughs> I was just having fun. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was for my boy. I laughed. I said, we just stopped at the grocery store and grabbed a couple of things, honey. It was a mess. You're coming out of the snap. I didn't even know what I was doing. I rarely think about it. It was for my boy. You know why? Because he wasn't living prepared. He was already compromising at 14 years old. He was already believing his friends. He was already believing this thing that I'm mad I'm in this family because now I have to do Jesus because he's my dad. Instead of I get to know Jesus because he's amazing. Now my boy's amazing. My, boy, my whole family's doing incredible. There was a season when it looked like they were blown up and thank God I didn't blow up because of love. So what I preach, I preach with passion because I walk through it probably more than anybody I know personally in certain areas. The whole time my wife's in crisis for eight years, I'm getting phone calls for marriages and people say, well, I can't expect you to understand. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. And they were falling apart over a fraction of the thing I was living in. And if they'd have listened, I had real good input. We left the room. My son breaks down crying in the ICU. He's bawling when we're leaving the room. I said, Shh, it's okay, bud. She's going to be fine. Mama's going to be fine. We get out in the hall. and I said, buddy, you got to pull it together when I see you. We hit the mechanical door. We shot out in the hall. And he, he pushes me. He never does that. He just kind of pushes me. He says, it's not about mom. I'm not crying because of mom. And I said, okay. 
And I'm thinking, man, we're having this big family <laughs> thing now. This deep thing's going to be exposed in the middle of the ICU hall. He's like, it's you, Dad. It's me and you. And I'm like, whoa. Starting to feel soap opera or something. I'm like, it's me and you, Dad. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. You and me. It's you and me. He said, you don't see what I see. You don't see what I see. And then he cried pitifully. Fell into my chest and said, I don't see what you see. I don't see what you see. Just cried and I just held him and told him what I see. I told him, you live in Jesus, buddy. Because when you get a phone call that mama's in a coma, you better know him. I just held him and he watched daddy walk through that. Hour and a half later, my wife woke up with no brain damage. I went in to see her. I didn't realize that the lady, the nurse that was overseeing my wife, the main nurse that was caring for her through the day, was the neighbor of the lady my wife worked with. Small world. The neighbors telling the lady, giving her updates because they care about each other. She's saying, but it's this man, her husband. We've never seen anybody like this. I wasn't trying to minister. He carries so much peace. You can tell he loves her, but he's so not upset. And he cares about everybody else in the room. And he follows rules. And he doesn't take privileges. And he's just, wow. And I'm thinking, that should be my testimony. Because Jesus is in me. I bet you Jesus walking in and out that ICU, somebody would take notice. I bet somebody would go, whoa. I happen to be a Christian. I walked in the ICU and my wife's sitting there. It was so cute. She had her little hospital gown on. She just came off of life support, guys. They just took the trach tube out of her. Her eyes were bald. She was in a coma. Her face was swelled. It didn't even really look like her, but I popped her eyes open and talked to her. <laughs> Prayed and boom. And I come back. She's awake. I'm in the shower and the Lord said, hey, I need you to go to the hospital. There's great increase. Today's day of great increase. I said, okay. I get out. Wee hours in the morning, before 7, 6.45 probably. I go in there, the doctor's in there, he sees me coming, he's in a little white coat meeting, all the clipboards are there, and they're looking, and he lays his down and busts through the meeting and comes running over to me, hugs me and cries. The doctor. He said, your wife is doing amazing. I said, I know, that's why I'm here. The Lord just told me to come and see her. Today's a day of great increase. He said, she's up all night, she's totally coherent. If we have her off the trach tube, she doesn't even have brain damage. I've never seen anything like this. I said, well, doctor, I just want to thank you for everything. He said, thank me. We didn't even know what we were doing. We were at wit's end. We just said, stop. I get that. But you really helped my wife, and you were here for us, and thank you for what you do. You don't understand. We didn't do that, sir. I said, you're not hearing me. I honor you. Thank you for caring for people. Because we can go in there with a the wrong energy. We don't need the arm of the flesh. We got the power of God. Rah, 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 shakaba. And then the person dies, and the doctors think we're nuts. I walked in the room, my wife's sitting there, her hair's all flat. She just came out of a coma. She just, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She's alive. And I turned the corner and I said, hey. She said, hi. She's whispering, trach tube. I said, you are so beautiful. She said, 
she was, she yawned and I cried. She just yawned and I just started crying. I was like, oh, so sweet. <laughs> Look at her little yawn. She's, like, <gasps> She's alive. The day before, she's in a coma. She's alive. She doesn't even have brain damage. I sat down beside her. She said, what happened? She had no idea. So I talked about what happened. Talked about wanting to die and the thing you've been under, honey, that thing just came and tried to take you at your word. He came. He tried to kill you. You had brain damage. They didn't think you were going to live. They were ready to do a spinal tap when you woke up. Her eyes got real big. She looked at me and said, you held on to me. You didn't let me go. I said, let you go. You ain't going nowhere. I love you. And she went, and realized that I saw something in her value that she hadn't seen for eight years. And eight years of living that way couldn't change my mind. Why? Because truth doesn't know time. We try to hold on and do what's right till we run out of gas. Truth does no time. <laughs> You're an amazing Christian, believer. Love not my own life. My wife doesn't owe me a thing. When I stand up here and preach this stuff with passion, they're not coined phrases. They're not Pastor Dan one-liners. They're things I've lived, experienced, and have been fashioned in. And I preach them with a passion because they're truth. And they will take you to the finish line with a legacy and a testimony of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I blew up time. Ah, I'm done. Oh my goodness, truth in no time. Thank you, David. Ah. I was really felt done at 11.30. How I should have known better. I so wanted to stop because I think we're, well, I'm coming back at 2. I don't know that you will, but I'm being here at 2. Stand to your feet. Let's just pray. I'm going to release you. This is just a teaching time. We're not going to do anything else right now.